listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Indeed, welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files Podcast, your fortnightly foray into guitar geekery. My name is Eric Daw, your uh, personal guitar scientist guy, 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Got a good show for you today. Uh, first things first, a little bit of a shop update. I've been working on a few custom guitars that should be available for sale soon. And uh, it's, you know, it's so funny how things come in batches. If somebody brings me, like, a, you know, a Gibson to refret, then two other people will also bring me a Gibson to refret. It's like, it's like they come in waves. So it's been neck reset week. For some reason, you know, they all come at once. But, you know, that's kind of cool because uh, then you can do them bang, bang, bang uh, with all your gear already set up. You know, you got out the steaming apparatus with the hose and the the neck removal jig and you do one and then set it aside and then start the other so it's kind of cool that things come in batches you know but it's it's such a strange like law of the universe i wonder if other repair shops have this same thing do things do things come in batches for you too if you're a if you're a guitar repair guy write me and let me know because that's one thing i've just noticed over the years is that uh, they come in waves maybe i've talked about it on the show before I don't know what else is going on. I've been uh I've been working on a few um uh custom pickups and rewinding a bunch of pickups, you know, just kind of the standard thing. This is what I do. It's what I do for a living. So, it just uh it just goes and goes. The guitar history corner. A little bit of guitar history to start it off. Uh I wanted to talk about John Lennon's early uh, Rickenbacker 325. It's the guitar he used during the rise to the fame, rise to fame of the Beatles, so it's a very iconic guitar. I can't remember if I've talked about this guitar on the show before or not. If we did this history already. If we did, it was it's a long time ago. So I don't know. Um, interesting guitar. Uh, it's such an, a unique little... <laughs> I think it's a beautiful guitar. I've heard other people call it ugly. But it's a be- I think it's a beautiful guitar. Um, the th- strange thing about it is that it was kind of a one-off. So Lennon picked this up in a shop in uh, Germany, I believe. And uh, th- if you compare it with other 325s of the, of the era, almost every other one has a sound hole, like a, like a F hole on the upper bout, right? 
the lack of sound hole on, on Lennon's 325 is hard to explain. I, but, um, the, I guess the speculation is that the very first few didn't have one. And then it was, then it was introduced on all the subs, on all the subsequent, subsequent ones, uh, to indicate that it's hollow. So it's like a, it's a very, um, routed out guitar, right? It's very lightweight. And uh, even though it has the appearance of being a solid body, right? Uh, but it's a, it really is kind of a hollow body guitar. Also, if you compare it to almost every other known example of a, an early 325, it's unusual in that it has four knobs. And most original 325s only have two knobs and one switch. Uh, it's just weird that this, I mean, th- this guitar, which was basically a one-off, I, they've never found another vintage Rick with all the same uh, specifications, as far as I'm aware. And uh, yet this became the uh, an iconic guitar, right? Uh, so <clears throat> even if John hadn't owned this guitar, it would still be a very rare Rickenbacker. It's, it's uh, the only one like it that I know of. And the fact that John Lennon owned it, you know, makes it worth a billion times more, of course. A very valuable guitar. I mean, it might be the most iconic, most valuable guitar on the planet that, you know, that I can think of. I mean, what, what, could, be a, what could be a more valuable guitar? I really can't. <laughs> Maybe there's one. I don't know. Um, but this guitar was rumored to have been stolen for years. Uh, I think a Beatles fan magazine, you know, in the 60s said that it was stolen, but it wasn't. It was a a few other guitars that were stolen from the Beatles. This guitar uh, stayed in Lennon's possession, and um, he had it restored in the 70s. uh, New York uh, guitar repairman. Um, Let's see. I've got it right here. New York guitar repair guy... uh, did a restoration on it. Let me see if I can find his name. Ron D. Marino of New York. Uh, he restored its natural finish and replaced the cracked pig guard. Uh, and then, you know, supposedly Lennon used this guitar on a few of his last recordings. So it came full circle. Um, the guitar has been in and out of a few museums on loan and was, you know, owned by Yoko, who has apparently now given it to John and Yoko's son, Sean. So Sean Lennon, as far as I know, the last I heard, now Sean Lennon owns this guitar. It's the kind of guitar that will probably never go up for sale, but I don't know. It, you know, it might. Does Sean have kids? I mean, were they, are they just going to pass this down to uh, to Lennon's offspring forever? I don't know. But if that guitar went up for sale, it would probably fetch more than any other guitar ever has in history. That's just my guess. It's just a guess. I don't know. But, uh, gosh, I would love to hold that guitar. Wouldn't that be a thrill? I mean, I don't get gaga over, you know, vintage and rare guitars generally, because I've worked on a ton of them, but that is a it's a horse of a different color very very cool guitar uh i tell you what we'll do here let's see we did not have any calls but uh i think we've got some emails to read yep we do. 
get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Mm-hmm. Hey, Eric, what's your opinion on these volume mods, treble bleeds, that some people add to the guitar's volume pot? Do you ever add them to your pinup custom guitars? I was thinking of soldering my own to try it out, but I thought I'd ask if it was worth the effort first. If so, do you have any component values you'd recommend as a starting point? In my research, some appear to just be a capacitor, some are a capacitor and a resistor, some use two resistors and a capacitor. I often use your reality check method of have I ever listened to a record and thought, man, that, insert a crazy detail here, really sounds amazing. These seem like a kind of tone circuit, albeit only one when the volume gets turned down, right? But it's hard for me to tell how big an impact it might have without a lot of soldering, so I thought I'd ask you first. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, thanks for the question. Um, It's the kind of thing you're either going to love or hate. I think it's a pretty dramatic change if you play with the volume pot frequently. Now, some players don't. I do. I use my volume pot a lot. Uh, and I don't like that um, treble bleed mod. I don't like it. So uh, it's not for me, but I've worked with plenty of players who just have to have it, and really what it's doing. So a, a potentiometer, so when you turn it down, when you turn the volume down, what it's doing is it's slowly shunting all the signal to ground through a variable resistor known as a pot, right? A potentiometer. And what happens when you start turning that down is the high frequencies get bled off to ground first. So as you turn it down, not only does it get quieter, but it gets darker. And so some genius decided that if you put a capacitor across the two hot lugs, that it preserves the high end as you roll it down. And it does. It it doesn't happen gradually, and it doesn't happen naturally. It's kind of a jump. Uh, to me, when you turn it down, then the sound gets tinny to my ear. So I prefer the natural roll-off of an unadulterated pot. I think that the little bit of high loss in highs sounds natural to me as I as I scroll the volume down. But if you feel like your guitar gets too dark as you turn it down then the addition of that uh, little treble bleed cap might be for you. And if you're sheepish about soldering it in, get a couple of uh, alligator clip test leads and uh, just, you know, hook it up with some test leads and see what you think. Right? Easy to do. You know, fun little experiment. You might like it, and you'll hear exactly... I mean, you will hear exactly what I'm talking about. And it doesn't really matter which one. Yeah, there's there's different methods of doing it. Uh, the There's just the cap. That seems to be the most dramatic. The one with the cap and the resistor, the point of that is that it's supposed to temper the... the, um, the extremeness of the, of the treble increase to me it sounds like a treble increase almost when you back off the volume with one of these in there so maybe try the try them both but use some test leads before you solder so you can try it out that's a that's a worthwhile little saturday sunday afternoon experiment right 
Thanks for the question. Here's another one. I'm assuming you use a spray gun to paint your guitars. What brand of nitro paint do you use? I have a guitar I want to paint, and the only lacquer I can find in vintage Fender colors comes in spray cans, except for overseas suppliers. Thanks. Thanks for the great podcast. I appreciate you sharing your expertise like you do. That's from Mike. Well, Mike, um, yes, I do use a gun, and uh, sometimes I mix my own colors, but a lot of times what I do... Here's a little secret. A lot of times what I do is I'll use uh, aerosol to get color. If it's something I don't want to mix up or if it's something that's just easier to, you know, spray on. Get it from Re-Ranch or whoever. And then I'll spray clear over it because most of these colors will have, they'll have a, you know, sealer and then primer and then, you know, the sealer and then a color coat. And then they have clear over them. So the gun I use to to spray all kinds of things, uh, but mostly clear. So um, that's what I use. For for lacquer, I use uh, Mohawk, or is it Balin's? It's the same company, and I can never remember what they what they put on the on the uh, on the jar. But it's piano lacquer. That's what I use, and I think it's made by Balin's. Let me look. Uh, or is it Mohawk? It's Mohawk. Mohawk Piano Lacquer. That's what I use. The other one that's good is Mohawk Classic Instrument Lacquer. Those are the two that are very good, and that's what I use for clear. Everything I shoot gets clear over it. So if I'm doing a black guitar, um, it gets black, and then it gets clear over it. I don't just use black lacquer, right? You clear over it. And that's that's vintage correct. I mean, that's how they did it, really, as far as I know. Thanks for the question. Hello, Eric, and esteemed guest. Well, there's no guest. It's just me. Sorry. Hello, Eric. A question to my favorite podcast. How many Fender Strats out there have a reverse wound, reverse polarity, middle pickup as stock? I was once on a Facebook group. And the topic of hum-canceling positions 2 and 4 came up. I was under the impression that only the more expensive models came with reverse-wound, reverse-polarity from the factory, and cheaper Indonesian-Asian models don't. I'm a big fan of modifying guitars to suit our needs and an even bigger fan of sharing correct information. Too much misinformation and snake oil salesmen on the interwebs, he says. Keep up the podcast and please don't slow down to monthly, huh? Well, how did you know I'm thinking of doing that? Might slow down to yearly. Uh, I love my, yeah, blah, blah, blah. He loves the podcast. Thanks. <clears throat> That's from Jake in Sydney, Australia. Right on. Thanks, Jake. Uh, I don't know. Fender makes all kinds of guitars. You know, the, the funny thing about Fender is, you look at the original catalogs, like in the 50s, they made, you know, Four, five, six guitars, right? A telly, a strat, some some student models, then introduced the jazz master, you know. Now they probably make hundreds of just stratocasters, right? Which ones have reverse wind, reverse polarity middle pickups, and which ones don't? Well, my guess is most of them do. And 
what they do sometimes, I know that they'll take like uh, higher end custom shop reissue models. They'll take like if it's a, uh, you know, 57 reissue or a 62 reissue or something like that, they'll use custom shop pickups that are all the same wind and the same polarity. And the reason that they're doing that is because it's vintage correct for that year because they didn't start doing RWRP pickups until much later. So um, the cheap Asian, Indonesian, you know, uh, even, you know, Mexican-made, which are great guitars, almost all of those probably have reverse-wound, reverse-polarity middle pickups. It's actually the higher-end ones that usually, where you see it, where they don't. But model by model, which ones do and which ones don't? Oh my god, I don't even think Fender knows that. Give me a break. Next. Hello, Eric. In one of your more recent episodes, you talked about an old string-through Valco pickup and offhandedly mentioned that they're terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry. Those seem pretty popular in cooter casters along with the gold foil. I think you also mentioned in the past you didn't care for Charlie Christian pickups either. Anyway, it made me wonder if there were any non-Fender type pickups you thought sounded good in Tellies or Strats. That's from Mike. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I don't know. I didn't mean to say they're terrible. Maybe I did. The problem with those string-through Valco lap steel pickups is that the pull pieces, the, the magnet's weak, the pull pieces are really touchy. It's just not a... It's not... It's not a very well-made pickup. You know, there's a reason why guitar manufacturers abandoned this um, this type of pickup, right, where the it, the strings go through a magnetic field where there's a, you know, the, the magnets are like on the side, and the, it's just, it's a crazy configuration. And you can't palm mute, you can't... Uh, it it <laughs> because there's a big plate over the strings you can't access the strings at that point which drives me nuts i don't like that right so if you get them dialed in just right and you play it just right they sound real cool but man they're finicky super super finicky and i've rewound a bunch of them and they're even more finicky to rewind cuz you open it up and it's like a dog's breakfast of craziness in there. They've got... I had one on my bench a while ago where each each string had its own individual coil. There were six coils. One under each string. Each coil was like a little paper circle. It, it was so crazy. It was so crazy. Each little coil is like a paper circle, and uh, then they were just connected together in series. So I had to go through and test each one and try to figure out which which ones were dead and which ones were working. Each one was like a thousand K, you know, a thousand ohms. So wired all together in series, it turned out to be a 6,000 ohm pickup. But, oh my gosh, talk about a nightmare to rewind. It was awful. So, yeah, they're not my favorite. There's plenty of non-Fender pickups that I think are great. I have a Tysco Gold Foil in my main guitar. I love it. Uh, I really like... um, 
I like P90s. I think they're they're good. Uh, I love Dan Electro lipstick tube pickups. Those are hard to beat. They Man, they sound good. They've got a unique sound, very good sound. But it's all, you know, like I've said before, it's all ice cream flavors. Just pick what you like. Just because somebody else likes it doesn't mean that you should. Um, you know, there's a billion kind of pickups to choose from. So, oh yeah, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music, you can order a neck straightening iron, some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I, think it, I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've, I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com they're $7.49 I know that seems like a lot it's it's a tool I tell you what it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over if you go to playersgearmusic.com scroll down on the main page scroll 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 down to where it says fan of the fret files podcast you click that that adds one to your cart and it's 50 bucks off. So instead of 749, it's 699. 699, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron. Playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out, and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. As you know from listening to the show, I repair and restore guitars. If you go over to ericdaw.com and see information about guitar repair and guitar restoration, you can contact me there. If you've got some guitar restoration or pickup rewinding, anything that you need done, if you want to see the custom guitars that I build, you can go over to pinupcustomguitars.com. There's a whole lot of guitars on there that have been sold, but I also post new arrivals there all the time. They go quick, so check often. The best way to get into the loop is to submit your email address on the uh, on the homepage of that website, and that'll add you to my email list, and you'll get a heads up when there's new guitars available. That's pinupcustomguitars.com and ericdaw.com. As always, this episode of the Fret Files podcast is being brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters, my favorite coffee. I'm so proud that these guys sponsor the podcast. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters, they search the globe for the the very best coffee beans available. They roast them right there in-house in Texas to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. Check them out online, apexcoffeeroasters.com. If you're a listener to the podcast, you can use my promo code, which is PINUP, P-I-N-U-P, at checkout and receive 10% off from apexcoffeeroasters.com. Hey, life happens. Coffee helps. Trust me. It helps me a lot. apexcoffeeroasters.com. Check them out. Tell them I sent you. We've got a few more questions here. 
Eric, any interest in doing Patreon content? No. Not really. He continues, Also, I'm not a humbucker fan, but the new Gibson BAF custom buckers have changed my mind. Very bright and responsive and great for blues. Give them a try. Keep up the great job. We all enjoy the podcast and look forward to it fortnightly. Thanks. That's from Nick in Utah. Thanks, Nick. I'm sure I'll hear him someday. I'm sure I will. The new Gibson PAF custom buckers, he says. All right. I wonder what's different about them. Maybe I should look. Okay, quick internet search says that uh, they're actually, they're really not new. I think they're at least five years old or so, the custom buckers. But they're Alnico 3 magnets instead of Alnico 2. I think the, I think the burst buckers are Alnico 2. And uh, custom buckers are Alnico 3. I don't know. I'm sure they're fine. Um, they have uh, output in the high sevens. So like, you know, 7.8, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'm sure they've got good clarity. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm just not a I'm just not a Gibson guy. I'm not a humbucker guy. I'm sure they're great, but thanks, Nick. Appreciate it, Eric. I just took a strat from a friend who wanted me to do an entire overhaul, basically everything but the pickups and electronics, which he loved. So tuners, tremolo, bone nut, string tree, new switch tip, new spring cover. To match the pickguard, he loves the neck and the sound of this guitar, and he found it in a garbage can. <laughs> and he wants to play it, <clears throat> and he loves it. I wasn't sure if he was aware of how much parts were, so I did some price shopping and sent him a, a preliminary estimate for parts only, and he had massive sticker shock. He then started Googling and found cheaper things than I was going to put on this guitar. So we're going with that. So here's my question. One, for parts... Do you mark them up when you sell them to customers, or do you sell them at cost? No, I don't sell them at cost. Yes, I mark them up. So being, you know, that this is my profession, I have accounts with parts suppliers who sell me parts for wholesale because I buy in bulk, and I buy a lot, and I buy often, so they offer me a discount, right? Because I have an account with them, and they sell wholesale to me. So then, yes, I do mark them up. I don't typically mark them up to full retail, but I usually mark them up to somewhere around what they sell online, right? Question two, he says, do you have something like a dealer or wholesale account with parts suppliers? Yes, I just answered that. Question three, what do you do if and when customers start coming back with, I saw one on Amazon? I love the show, bud. Thanks from Adam. Uh, if people start complaining to me about prices, I tell them to get lost. That's what I do. I mean, nicely, you know. But if somebody's saying, well, I can get one on Amazon for cheap, then I say, go, then buy one. Quit bothering me, you know. I don't have a problem with that. I have enough business, you know what I mean? I don't mean to be flippant. I don't want to be rude. I'm just saying. <laughs> people give you a hard time. I worked for a very, very, you know where I worked. I worked for a very high-end guitar shop in Seattle once. And uh, it was when I had just first started working there, like 20 years ago. And uh, a, a guy called on the phone and said, Hey, what's what's your price on, uh, you know, LR Bags acoustic pickup model, you know, XYZ, whatever. So I put him on hold. 
I looked up the price, and I got back on the phone, and I said, told him the price, you know. Oh, yes, sir, that is, you know, $229. And he said, uh, that's retail. And it, it, you know, stunned me. I mean, I, you know, I had just barely started working there. I didn't know what to say. I said, well, let me see what I can do. I'll put you on hold again. So I went and talked to my boss, told him the story. This guy says, that's retail. And he looked at me and said, we're a retail store. (laughs) So I got back on the phone and said, yep, it is retail. We are a retail store. So, uh, yeah, you'll find people who want to grind your gears on prices. And if they want to do that, then let them take the risk of buying online and dealing with the hassle of getting the wrong product or getting some opened box, you know, some, you know what I mean? Like, dude, if you want reputable stuff and service, then just pay a little bit extra to somebody who knows what they're doing and who knows what they're selling you and who knows how to install it, right? Anyhow, that's my rant for today. Hello, Eric. I'm noticing a rattle or buzz when I play certain notes or chords. If I move the guitar back and forth, it sounds like the truss rod is loose inside the neck, and it seems like it might be closer to the body than the nut. I have a Gretsch hollow body, and I haven't been able to totally eliminate something inside the body, but as I put my ear close to the neck, it seems like it might be a loose truss rod. I would love your opinion based on what I've given you. If it is a loose truss rod, what's a good fix for this? Is the fix very difficult for a professional luthier? Is it a, is it going to be an expensive solution? Thanks, as always. Love the show. Haven't gone a week without it for the last three months. That's from Phil in Detroit. Thanks, Phil. Um, Sympathetic rattles and buzzes on guitars can be so, so difficult to track down. What you have to start doing is checking everything. And some of the, you know, common culprits can be tuner hardware. I mean, there's, the you know, depending on the tuner, there's uh, ferrules or there's uh, a washer and a ferrule that screw down. Those start to rattle. And the crazy thing about it is that if something is rattling on a guitar, it's hard to tell where it's coming from because the whole guitar amplifies it, right? I mean, that's the guitar's job is to amplify sound. So it can be coming from the headstock, but you'll swear it sounds like it's coming from inside the guitar. I mean, really, I've heard, I've seen it hundreds of times. So uh, it could be some loose parts on the bridge. It could be a, a strap button. It can be, you know, those three-way switches are notorious for doing this. They get a little bit worn, and when they're in the middle position, they're just rattly, and you hit the just the right frequency, and you'll get this crazy hum or buzz. So, yeah, it could be a truss rod, too. Thankfully, this is that's easy to find out. So knock on the neck and listen for a loose, you know, rattling sound inside the neck. What you can do is tighten the truss rod, right? I'm assuming the truss rod works because if you've got a loose and broken truss rod, then the fact that it works will will uh, will negate that, right? You know, I mean, there's 
a truss rod will do more than just rattle if it's broken. It won't work. So check and see if that truss rod works. If the truss rod works and you're able to put a little bit of tension on it uh, and the neck is still, you know, straight, then problem solved, right? But if there's no tension on the truss rod, you should be able to just snug it up to where it's tight but not really adjusting anything yet. If it truly is broken, like the uh, a headstock adjust truss rod should be anchored somewhere down, you know, close to where the guitar neck meets the body. And if that has broken down there inside the neck where it's anchored, then yeah, that's a problem. And yes, it would be an expensive fix, if that's indeed the problem. That's rare, so it's probably not that. But a good luthier should be able to, to troubleshoot this for you. In fact, if you just spent an afternoon with it, I, th- I really think you would be able to troubleshoot it and come up with your own, uh, at least your own theory of where the rattle's coming from before you took it to a good luthier. But I don't know. Check it out. <clears throat> See what you find. It could be an expensive problem, and it, it might not be. So thanks, Phil. Hi, Eric. I can't find a good supplier for flathead guitar screws. You know, like early Fender-style flathead, pickguard screws, neck screws, tuner screws, etc. Flathead. Any tips? Thanks. That's from Bill. Yes, Bill. Oh, Bill. Oh, Bill, do I have a tip for you. These guys are the best. Blacksmith bolt and rivet supply. Let me just Google it. Where are they? I think they're in Portland, Oregon. Um, but yeah, they're the best. They've got all kinds of guitar screws. And uh, in nickel and chrome, gold, black. They have, if you go to their website, I think they've got a section you click and it says guitar screws, even. They know what they're doing. They know They know you're coming. Yeah, I click on screws... That takes me to a place, a place here where it says, you scroll down a little bit, it says guitar screws. You kind of have to know what you're looking for because you'll go to order a screw and it'll say something like number two half inch Phillips round head wood screw. So you have to know kind of, <laughs> you have to know what a number four five eighths inch oval head wood screw looks like because there's they really don't have pictures and and they don't say it doesn't say pit guard screw it doesn't say neck screw you have to know so you have to do a little sleuthing you have to figure it out you can do it but they also have a lot of flat head screws so if you wanted to you know outfit your telly with pre-52 screws uh in that style, right, then uh, that's the way to do it. Yeah, blacksmith bolt and rivet supply. Super high-quality screws, and uh, they are very, very affordable. That does it for the show. Appreciate you. You ought to send in some questions. I think we're all caught up. We didn't have any calls. So call the show. Send in some questions. You can call uh, 757 774-8482 you can call or text that number anytime I won't answer it it's just gonna you're just
just going to leave a message, and I'll use that as part of the show. No drunk dialing. 757-774-8482. The other way to do it is to uh, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. I'll keep these going as long as you guys want to listen, so I'll see you next time. Later. Later.